love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. In our final call together on FaceTime, I thanked him for saving me. Because it was in these really personal conversations where not only did he just reveal his life story, he revealed a lot of mine that I didn't know about, my past as a kid, that became like the materials for me to, I don't know, know my narrative a bit more and maybe find some empathy from some of the things that happened to me in the past. And he was the guy that did that. So I said, thank you. Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. We share a lot of different types of stories here on the Canadian Love Map, but this is a first. Imagine having a best friend who is six decades older than you. Oh, and also happens to be your grandfather. That was the beautiful relationship that Eric had with the guy he called Nono. There's also a Nona involved in this story, and the bottom line is, it's all about love. Hi, Eric. Hi, Nancy. I'm so excited to talk to you today, and you're kind of an overachiever because you've got two love stories to talk about. I'm very happy that you describe me as an overachiever. I think Nono would be happy to hear that too. So thank you. <laughs> okay, let's start with Nono. Let's tell everybody who Nono was. Or Nono was my best friend. Uh, he was a 95-year-old man. I think we should all have 95-year-old best friends because they know more than us. Uh, oh boy, so many words come to mind. He was kind. He was hilarious. He was wise. He was annoying. Oh Lord, Nancy, was this man ever annoying? Uh, and that was sort of part of our bond. I'm a, I'm a big believer that if you truly love someone, you are duty bound to annoy them. And Nono shared in this belief. Uh, I think one of our, just to give you a little window into that, one of our longstanding arguments that I never won was over sandwiches. Now, Nono had a deep and terrible prejudice against the sandwich. I believe that you can elevate the sandwich to not just a meal, but a great meal that you have people over for. And he was adamant that a sandwich is not a meal. So when I'd visit him for sometimes a week, uh, especially during the pandemic, because I get tested and I want to spend, you know, a good chunk of time there. I would make him a sandwich for lunch. One lunch, it was his, his turn to cook. And the other was mine. And I would make him a sandwich and I put all my effort into it. And he would look at me and say, you spent an hour and a half making this? Why? The sandwich is not a meal. So I never, I never beat him on that. But I think if there's, if there's one image to sort of encapsulate Nono uh, or like little period of time would be when I would come to visit him. I would be about to knock on the door and he'd swing it open and he'd be waiting for me with his little cane in his hand and this big like garden gnome smile on his face. And I'm a deeply neurotic human being, but I found within 30 or 45 minutes of hanging out with this dude, he'd sort of short circuited that, that neurotic machinery that's so deeply built into my brain. And I feel calm, uh, a little more present, uh, a little more just sort of going with the flow. It was sort of like doing yoga, hanging out with this 95-year-old, beautiful, hilarious man was like doing yoga. Now, he doesn't know what yoga is, and I told him that before, and I had to explain it, but uh, I think he agreed a little bit, and it's just, it was just fun to be around the guy. Best person ever, makes you slow down and, and just enjoy things a bit more. 
So he was your own personal family Buddha in a way. He was, he had the big Buddha belly. Um, he had, <laughs> he had this incredible, I mean, there's so many little details that I learned about him uh, after I would spend a week with him. Cause when you were like room with someone, you learn all these tiny little details. Like he would wake up at 5 a.m. to make meatballs, like a little, like a farmer tending to his meatball crops. He would make eye contact with me while he was blowing his nose. Um, he had underwear. He had underwear that was older than me. Actually, I think all of his underwear was older than me. Uh, it would like deteriorate from his body as he was walking with it. I learned all these little details. I can go on and on and on about them. But there's one, well, there's a few, but one of the big details of him was this like almost indescribable kindness and gentleness and I have no idea where it, where it came from. I mean, it's a bit of a mystery to me. But to sort of sit and be with someone who's that gentle and kind and capable of listening to you, was uh, it's nice to be in that tractor beam of love. I mean, I think we could all use a little pocket no-no that we could carry around and squeeze when we're not feeling so great. Um, and that was sort of the, the ability he had, was to just sort of make people realize that he was really like listening. And I don't know where it came from. I have a theory that it's because... Uh, around at the age of 83 and he died at 95, he had told me that he was ready to die. And my little pet theory is that you have two avenues you can go down when confronted with death. One of them is you can be a curmudgeon and rage against the dying of the light, or you can get gentle at the dying of the light. You realize things that matter a little bit more. So I don't know if he was always this way. I've asked my dad and he gives me wishy-washy answers, but the man that I knew was, had this like almost bottomless kindness that you just wanted to be around. Wow. I love that description. Now, before we get into your relationship any deeper with Nono, I want to go back to the beginning and talk about his relationship with your grandmother. What was their love story? So that one is 68 years. They were married for 68 years. And wow. it's, it is very hard to put or to even understand what, it would, what that would be for him. I mean, when he lost her, I, I will never be able to understand the grief that he felt. But a few stories to just sort of give people an idea of this like wild bond they had. Um, the first that comes to mind is she had Alzheimer's for about 10 years. And so he lost her day by day, month by month. But he was her caretaker in their little apartment, this 90-year-old man taking care of her moment after moment, day after day. But it got to a point where, look, it's just too much, Nono. We got, we got to put her into an actual home where she can get round the clock care. So we got everything in order. We, yeah, I guess the money was sent in first and last month's rent or however that works. And he got there yeah. and he said, Nope, we're going home. Took her home. And he spent the rest of the time caring for her. And I remember that week sitting in his living room, she was sleeping on the couch and he got up like a bolt and I didn't know what was happening. And I saw that Nona had started to cough a little bit. Her mouth was dry. And I turn around and he's already poured a glass of water for her and he's coming to bring it to her. And there was just something about this moment. I mean, like, look, he got her a glass of water, but there was something about how gentle he was with how he lifted her head up off the pillow, poured the water into her mouth, wiped her mouth, sat down next to her, held her hand, and then sort of just looked at me with a little tear in his eye. And he said, I love my wife. And that's something that he was comfortable with. He was comfortable showing me uh, his feelings and even his pain after she had died. I mean, we'd visit the, uh, the cemetery every day uh, and he'd do his little walk and we'd sit and he would do the rosary. Uh, first half was in English. The other half he could only do in Italian. 
while sitting there and visiting his wife. Um, but their beginning is actually a beginning of luck. I don't know if we want to get into that one. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah. So no, no. So, so me and Nono would hang out and he, first of all, where did the names Nono and Nona come from? This is just, this is just Italian grandma and grandma. This is Bubby and Zadie and right. you know, so on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, he'd written his memoir, uh, in Italian up until the point that he came to Canada. Uh, which is really the point when he laid down roots for the whole family that we want to know about. So I took it in the final few years to sit down with him when I'd visit and, and try to get him to tell me his memoir. So I got all these great stories from the beginning. And one of them was he was actually going to marry someone else. Her name was Rita. Oh. And Rita, oh. Nona told me, was ugly. And I'm like, Nona, why were you going to marry a woman that, quote unquote, you thought was ugly? And he was like, well, her family was affluent and they were, they were going to give us 12 of everything. When we were married. So like 12 towels, 12, 12 <laughs> knives, 12 forks. You, you'd have a whole, your whole house would be set up. It was like a quasi dowry. So he was like, look, I'm like, I guess you really wanted those towels, man. But there was this big wedding and picture like tiny Italian village, uh, late 1940s after the war. Um, and there was this wedding and this is like a wedding where literally the whole village goes. And about halfway through Rita starts to dance with this guy named Mike. And I loved hearing the story from Nono because he was still so viscerally angry at this guy, Mike. He was 50. But this is someone else's wedding. This was not yeah. Nono's wedding. This was no, someone not else's Nono's wedding. wedding. Okay. Yeah, someone else's yeah, wedding. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and like 70 years later, you can still, he's, he's holding a grudge. Like Michael Jordan does not hold a grudge like Nono holds a grudge, you know? Um, like he's had a family. He's falling. He's like the, the, the love story of all love stories he's had and he's still holding a grudge. Anyways. She left with Mike and then this freed him up. And shortly yeah. after that, he went to a nearby village and he saw a woman fetching water and he fell in love with her, I guess. And every day he would visit and eventually he said hello to her. And then he visited again and again and again. And then at some point they were having what you consider almost a full blown conversation. And that was Nona. And the whole, the whole oh town knew what was up. And, and that was sort of their beginning. And, and, and this is one, one story he told me was he, the first time he was alone with his wife, he'd been married to her for a year. How, how does that happen? So Nono left to Canada, right? Landed in Halifax, actually. And his, his first thoughts oh. were, this is cold and soggy. <laughs> yeah, I get that. <laughs> um, and he, 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 uh, basically save money for the year and Nona was supposed to come over, but Nona's dad was not going to let her come to this faraway land if she wasn't married. So they had a wedding, but Nona wasn't going to come to Italy for the wedding. So his brother stood in at the wedding and they were married. And then, so the first time Wait he ever a saw second. her- Wait a second. They did a virtual wedding way back then? Well, not a virtual one, but his brother just stood in for him. He was he was the groom that was just there, and Nono was just in Canada. And the night that they were married, uh, Nono had an old Vienna beer with a buddy from the steel mill. Only had one beer because he was saving money, and that was it. That's how he toasted his his wedding night with with a buddy from a steel mill in a, a little tavern. Okay, that is a story unlike any other. That's amazing. This sort of crosses between. Uh, our story in theirs where, uh, and we can get into this later when, when me and Nono's relationships relationship really fully started, but we were sitting in the outskirts of Chicago in this terrible super eight motel, 
drinking red wine out of styrofoam cups. And he told me the moment that he first saw her in Canada. And he'd gone to the Buffalo airport, and then he found out that the plane had been diverted. So he got in his car and rushed to the other airport. And he saw her getting off the plane. And I asked him, this is the first time you're ever alone with your wife. This is the first time you saw her without her parents buzzing around. Because it really was like a scene out of Godfather. I don't know if you remember, like, in the, in the first or second <laughs> Godfather, when Al Pacino's uh, trying to woo that Italian woman, her family's walking 10 feet behind them when they're walking around the village. That was, that was Nona's sort of yes. courtship with Nona. Wow. He was never, ever alone with her. There was a few moments where he would sit around the living room in Nona's home, uh, Justina's home, and, and when Nona's mom would fall asleep, Nona would sometimes give her a little footsie under the table. But that was it. That, that was all that it's been. <laughs> and he saw her in the airport. That was and as risque as it got. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 he, uh, he saw her in the airport, and I said, hey, man, did, like, how did you feel? Like, did you cry? And this is early on in our relationship when he hadn't been really vulnerable around me. He was still just like, you know, grandpa and, you know, a, a man. Uh, and his response was to start to cry a little bit there. And then his response was, I'm not sure mm. if I cried, Eric, which is obviously a yes. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just love that idea of. And this was uh, when he was telling me this, I was using like Tinder all the time. And like, you know, you can meet you have infinite potential mates in your pocket. And just the idea of being married to someone and not seeing them alone for a year and just that moment of actually hugging them, like that is a supreme type of intimacy that, I don't know, maybe I hadn't had, a, had an experience with at that point, uh, at that age. So it was just a really cool moment to get lost in his story and consider what that would be like for me. Uh, yeah, cool moment for him. Tell me how it was that you went from being grandfather and grandson to best friends. You know, a lot of these stories are shot through with luck. I think if there's like a, a theme in here, it's luck. Um, our relationship started about a decade ago, and it's when he almost died on the operating room table. He was getting in, in Toronto in the hospital. He was getting a heart surgery. We were all in the waiting room, and something really bad happened where they couldn't get his uh, heart to hold a stitch because the tissue was too soft. And the surgeon came out and was like, I'm not sure what we're going to do here. And he, and he ran back and apparently did something, you know, outside the, outside the normal procedure that's now in medical textbooks. He put a stent where you don't put a stent. I'm not sure what it was, but he saved Nona. And from there, I visited him every day because I was quote unquote freelancing at the time, uh, read unemployed. And it was the first time we ever hung out one-on-one. -on -one. And we hung out, we watched the Godfather's he would speak in Italian to me while watching them. I'd remind him that I'm, I'm a terrible Manjake grandson who doesn't speak a lick of Italian. I see his naked butt a lot. We go for little walks around the hospital and we realize that like, <laughs> man, we actually really kind of dig each other. And then we went on that, that trip to Chicago. His cousin had died uh, and he needed someone to drive him. So I drove nine hours there, nine hours back. We were in that, that you know, very uh, suspect Super 8 motel on the outskirts of Chicago. And that's when he started telling me his sort of life stories. And I got lost in listening to them. And I mean, he told me about being in a German POW camp for two years. And when he left it, he was in the middle of Germany and had to find his way on home on foot to Italy. And I just thought, wow, what would that feel like? And I think that was the moment where something clicked. Our relationship changed. It was always group setting, hanging out. You can't really get to know someone that well in a group setting. And now mm -hmm. here we were late at night drinking wine one-on-one -on -one, uh, 
And something clicked where it was no longer grandfather and grandson. It was just two dudes. And from there, I guess, you know, that's the origin story of us. And there was lots of visits, lots of arguments, lots of meals cooked, uh, constant tug of war over how much salt should we put in the food, Eric? Uh, he didn't like to put too much salt <laughs> in the food. And that, <laughs> yeah, that was the beginning. This podcast is brought to you by Charm Diamond Centers, Canada's largest family-owned jewelry store. They are proud to be putting love on the map. And the staff at Charm Diamond Centers are thrilled to be a part of your love story too. So visit CharmDiamondCenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. So I think about the difference between our story and who we are. And it sounds to me like on that trip, you got a big dose of what his story had been, but also a real sense of who he was. Yeah, I, I got the beginnings of it. I, I think I think it was more like he was a, almost a two-dimensional cartoon character with a funny accent who was my my grandpa. You know, you hang yeah. out in a group setting and you drive from Toronto to Niagara Falls and you spend three, four hours there. There's the cake. There's the obligatory photos. Everyone's talking. How much quality time are you really spending with your aunt or your uncle or your grandfather or your grandma at that point? Mm -hmm. So to me, it was just this moment of boof. You're three-dimensional now, and there's so much about you that I don't know. It wasn't, here, now there's so much that I do know. There was like, you're a man who survived a German POW camp, uh, and you've got layers to you. Uh, and there's just a ton, I think there was a sense that there's just a ton that I can learn from you, um, but I also just see you in a very different light. I see you as, you know, a, a full person now, which, which sounds really negative, but maybe it was negative. Maybe the way we, we see our grandparents in some ways can be negative, where we don't, we don't really see them as full three-dimensional peeps that have lived for 80 or 90 years. Oh, I think your words are going to be striking chords in a lot of hearts. And I certainly hear you. I, I had a similar experience where I, I sort of interviewed my grandmother when she was in her 90s. And right. that gave me a whole new perspective and understanding of her as a human being rather than that relational, she's the grandmother, I'm the granddaughter. Instead, yeah, I found I her fascinating. Yeah, and that's where it began. It was the, the word fascinating is the perfect one. It was like, oh, this dude's fascinating, man. I want to hang around with him. He's cool. You know, it's like being 12 years old on the schoolyard and so that guy's cool. I want to hang out with him. You don't know anything about that dude, but you want to hang out with him more. And, and from there, I did sort of unravel a bit of the mystery that is Nona. But there's, there's, there's one thing that I, I do want to say here about grandfather to grandson to full-blown person where there's these endless layers of like a life lived mm -hmm. for 90 plus years. And it's that I remember going to uh, Red Lobster with Nono. This is before the pandemic. Now, his two favorite restaurants are the Mandarin and Red Lobster. The Mandarin, I don't think you have in Nova Scotia, but it's a terrible, terrible place and no one should go there. So we go to the Red Lobster <laughs> and I was sitting there with my dad, my girlfriend at the time, and next to us was his family with this cute little girl, maybe five or six years old. And the waiter talks to the little girl in the regular voice that you would a little girl with a cute kind, and then talks to the parents, regular adult voice, comes over to us, talks to me, my dad, my girlfriend, regular voice. And then with Nono, she uses the little cute kid voice. And that's kind, like it comes from a place of kindness, but I really do believe that when we infantilize the elderly, and it comes from a good place, when we infantilize the elderly, we, we block everything. We, know, we, mm -hmm. we no longer actually are able to see them as this three-dimensional human being who perhaps knows some things that we don't know. 
You just see them as some, someone cute that needs your care and your soft tone. And we actually do ourselves a disservice. We block ourselves from actually yeah, we feeling any them. empathy. We just, we, yeah. in a sense, and this is a, a tough word, but here comes, you know, your, your, your fancy liberal arts college word here. It's dehumanizing. It's a little mm-hmm. bit dehumanizing because you're not seeing the full human. You're not seeing the layers. You're not seeing this man that walked out of a German POW camp. You're not seeing this man that has the capacity to make people feel like they matter when he looks at them and listens to them. You're not seeing a man who can make an amazing risotto. You're not seeing a man who came to Canada alone and faced discrimination and did everything with one goal in mind so his, lo- so his family could live a better life than him. You don't see any of that. You just see someone cute that you want to boop on the yeah. nose. And he was cute, and I did boop his nose, and he would tell me, stop that. <laughs> <laughs> but, what? yeah, I think, you, I think you... you can do both. I, I, I actually don't want to advocate giving up the, the, the cute thing. I find if you – if I really do love someone, I'll, I'll be a little cutesy with them and, like, boop their nose. I don't want to give that up. You should, you should find your grandparents cute because they are. But you should also mm-hmm. not you – should, you should be weary of, of, you know, not seeing all the other stuff. Hmm. So how would you describe the relationship that developed between the two of you? Oh, boy. Um, I say it was one of – oh, how do I want to put this? We were best friends. And, and, mm-hmm. and when I would come to visit him, I mean, we do all – like he would – he'd be like, Eric, we got to go get water. I'm like, what do you mean we need to go get water? And he would buy his water from a store. And we'd walk into the store and I'd fill up the two Culligan water jugs – and he would pay the guy for it. I remember one time he, the guy was like, that'll be 625. And Nona was like, no, here's 525. And the guy's like, no, no, it's six, it's 625. And then he realized that it was, I was, I only had one and a half water jugs that I was filling up. And the guy's like, oh, you're right. You're right. So Nona knew his water. And it was all these little fun trips we would do just sort of Sorry, I've got to interrupt you there though, because I, I find it so interesting that you would go and get water with him. Because that's the first time he saw his wife, who the, he then ended up being married to for that, oh, right. so many yeah. years, yeah. right? Water Going to get yeah. water. That's, maybe that was a, a memory for him. I think our relationship was one of, uh, I don't want to say too much about what he got out of it, but in our final call together on FaceTime, uh, I thanked him for saving me because it was in these really personal conversations where not only did he just reveal his life story, he revealed a lot of mine that I didn't know about my past Mm -hmm. as a kid uh, that became like the materials for me to, I don't know, know my narrative a bit more and maybe find some empathy from some of the things that happened to me in the past. And he was the guy that did that. So I said, thank you. You've, you've, you've really allowed me to be in some ways what he always wanted me to be. And so Nona had this beautiful mind-like ability to connect anything we were talking to, talking about, to the fact that I am single, I'm not married, and I've gotten no one pregnant, and I may die alone as a male spinster. <laughs> he wanted me to have a family. And what I try to convey to him, and I think he understood it in some degree, is that he gave me a greater capacity to be kind to myself. And then within that capacity to be kind to yourself, you're more capable of loving folks. You know, you're more capable of doing yes. what he did, which is beholding someone with tenderness and care and not being caught in your head, not being lost in self-incriminations. Uh, in many ways, the template mm-hmm. we, we have, the relationship we have with ourselves, can become fundamental to how we can relate with others, right? So I tried to convey all that. It's a little bit complicated, but 
I hope that he understood it because it was our relationship. Him annoying me that I'm, I'm not married yet. And how dare you, Eric? You're 35 and you're old and over the hill. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that gave me a deeper capacity to uh, be a father, uh, I think, and do what he mm-hmm. always really, really cared about most, which is family. So, yeah, his, his, his guiding spirit was family, but he sort of allowed people, just by being around him, to get sort of more into what family is, right? So to me, it sounds like what you're describing is being in the presence of love. Yeah. I really don't have a fulsome answer for, for why my guy had this like tractor beam of gentleness and love that I would just try to like flow into. Like he had a vibe about him. He had a rhythm. Uh, he mm-hmm. also loved to putter. He was one of the all-time great putterers in human history. <laughs> Always bumbling around his apartment like a little water bug, just rearranging things that just did not need rearranging. Uh, and singing. He was 95 years old. He lost his wife of 68 years, and his body was failing him. He, um, he had a lot of water retention. He was taking medicine for prostate cancer that, was, that would make him miserable. Yet here he is at 9 a.m. when I wake up because I wake up at 9 a.m. and he wakes up at 5 a.m. And I catch him puttering around the kitchen singing in Italian. (laughs) Tell us uh, some other little details about Nono. Okay, so I thought I knew a lot about Nono, but once you actually room with someone for a week, you learn so many little details that like stack up to uh, really knowing a person more. He woke up at uh, 5 a.m. to make meatballs. Like he was a little uh, farmer tending to his meatball crops. Uh, he wore underwear that was older than me that would like disintegrate off his body as he was walking. All of his underwear was well older than me. We're talking like like Reagan era underwear. Uh, he, uh, he would make complete sustained eye contact with me while farting uh, and while blowing his nose. Um, <laughs> he would wake up like clockwork at midnight. Uh, he'd gone to bed at like 10-ish. And he would do three little race car laps around the apartment. And now you could talk to him while those race car laps were happening and have a conversation. But when they were over, the conversation was done. Um, oh boy, there's so many things. He he had a uh, he had an indoor pair of socks and an outdoor pair of socks. So my duty when we would go on our <laughs> daily walks and go visit his his wife in the cemetery would be to take his rubberized indoor socks off and put his outdoor socks on and then slip his comfy little new balances on. And I learned that he has the smoothest feet. His feet are not gross at all. They're these oddly smooth old man feet. Uh, And I could spend the entire duration of this podcast telling you details about his particularities in the kitchen, uh, but I won't. But nothing that I would do in the kitchen was exactly how it should be. So he taught me a lot about that. Uh, where Where the cutting, don't put the cutting board don't wash the cutting board and put it in the dishwasher. It's got to be on the table at all times because Nono might want to do a little drive-by of the fridge, grab a little salami and cheese and cut it up and eat it. So it's got to be, the cutting board has got to be on the counter. Uh, and all these things sort of stack up to, I mean, they're so little and cute and almost inconsequential, but when you put them all together, it sort of weaves a, I don't know, more of a picture of me knowing this man. I mean, Nona taught me all these little things and he taught me this like almost ineffable way of being kind to yourself, but he also taught me about death. So I remember I would sit with him and this was in the last few years where he, two years even, where he got me comfortable with it. 
where you want to talk about death, my first instinct was to be like, nah, man, you'll live to 100 and just swipe it away with a positive spin. I don't want to think about your death. Mm -hmm. I don't want to think about death. Let's be really honest. The denial, our capacity for denial is profound and is rooted in the necessity to deny death. And so mm -hmm. I, he taught me to talk to him about it. And A, here's a man who's 95 years old who's probably thinking constantly about his death. And to have no one to talk to about it. If you try to bring up this thing that you want to talk to about it and people are like, no, 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 no. That's painfully lonely, almost incomprehensibly lonely. So if I was going to do him a service, like he's done me a service, I had to get comfy with it. And we talk about it. Um, and the other thing that would happen is, since I've blown up the myth that I don't have forever time with my dude, that he's going to die soon. This might be your last weekend with him. It didn't imbue that hangout with this dread. It imbued it with like preciousness. This is, this is a rare resource. I will not have this for too long. So every moment, perhaps like the moments that older people learned, learned to have a, a good relationship with, to be there in the moment. Uh, I think knowing that he was going to die soon did the same thing for me. Is this the last time I'll see him? So sitting down with him and having him tell me about for the fourth time, because I love the story about seeing Nona by the water fountain. I mean, that was just precious. And mm -hmm. so you, it imbues the interaction with a richness that's hard to describe, but is heartening. And it makes you feel a lot better, especially if you're in the midst of the pandemic and you're lonely. Was part of his comfort level with his own death, uh, his belief system or what he, you know, thought would happen after he died? I think it had to be, but I do hear stories because I've, I've, I've written a few pieces about him and I, and, and I get all these lovely stories from people telling me about their grand, grandmas and grandpas. Here's how my grandma used to annoy me. Here's how my grandma was awesome. <laughs> um, and it seems regardless of religion, there is, at least with the soft, kind stories that I heard, there's a commonality of not being, it's hard to say they're not terrified of death, but not being stunned and destroyed by your fear over death. And for Nono, I, I really didn't believe him at first, but he really didn't, he really didn't fear his death. He feared dying. He feared suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And, and I was actually lucky enough to make it there, um, by his bedside, uh, and saw, oh boy, <laughs> he didn't suffer when he died. I saw his final breath and it was this perfect little picture of peace. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know how much for him. Yes, it was definitely his endless, endless faith. He was a Roman Catholic and then he would see Nona again. But I, I don't think it has to be faith. I don't think it has to be a belief that, that, it's a new beginning. This end is a new beginning. I think you can believe that it's an end and mm -hmm. still have this acceptance of death. I mean, all, all the research you're seeing about uh, psychedelics now, where people that, are, that have terminal cancer and can't come to terms with their death, when they have these experiences uh, through the use of psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, uh, mm -hmm. they, they come to accept their death. And that becomes a gift for their remaining years. So no, I, I don't think you need endless faith to accept your death, but but I think for Nono, that was likely the avenue. So you were able to be there with him 
And what a gift that was to him. Was it also a gift to you? I think it was. Yeah. I mean, look, luck is shot through. I mean, he went fast. He, he fell down, right? He fell down and hurt his shoulder. And he, uh, we, we argued with him endlessly to get uh, one of those little devices that you can push if you need help. He fell down at 3 a.m. Oh, no. When he got up to go to the washroom. And he called 911 at 8.30 in the morning. He dragged himself oh, Eric. for five and a half hours to get to that phone. And the fall hurt him, but that, but that experience exhausted him. And so he came back and he was okay. I have these pictures of him wearing this like great purple robe talking to me and his goatee had gotten long because he'd stopped taking his prostate medicine. So his, his goatee was really growing and fulsomely and I, I told him to keep growing it. And he looked like this wise little wizard that you like, you know, try to get to on the top of a mountain. <laughs> and he seemed okay. He seemed okay, but it, he couldn't sleep and things took a turn very, very quickly. So the problem was, is that I needed to get a test. So I was waiting for a test to come back to come see him. And we had planned for me to, to take over the caretaker role for two weeks and to like be there because my dad had done it for a week and now it was my turn. And then I got mm -hmm. the call on, a, I think it was a Monday and it was that you need to come right now. And I remember, uh, I packed a bag. <laughs> And I remember after he died, waking up in the morning and opening up the contents of that bag, it was three pairs of jeans, three sweaters, one loose sock, no underwear, and a bag of chips. I have no idea what I was putting into this bag, uh, but I, I put it in there. I rushed down the QEW and I made it there. And we were supposed to leave at 1130 at night because this was COVID, right? Like I'm wearing a mask and uh, a face shield. And the nurse said that you have to leave at 11.30. But then a new nurse came in and was like, you guys can stay if you want. So I stayed. And about an hour later, you could see his very peaceful breaths going. And then it just stopped. Um, and it, it, it's heartening for the whole family to know that someone was there. And after he died, I, I put my forehead against his like we always do. And I, was, I said, thank you for being my best friend. And then something came out that kind of sounds cheesy. And I, I was surprised that it came out. And, but I said, you saved me. And in some ways, for a bunch of reasons, uh, he did. Uh, he taught me how to uh, be vulnerable as a man. And he, and he taught me how to you know, love well and, and without so much fear. <laughs> it's a leap of faith to, to actually properly love folks. Uh, and so he, I think he gave me the capacity to make that leap a little bit. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing this story and both these stories with us today. Really great. Thank you for having me on. I know Nona would have loved to listen to this because he always loved to listen to me talk about him. And this was lovely. It was just super lovely meeting you. Bye now. so much for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. <laughs>